Chapter Two of The Stolen Singer by Martha Fletcher Bellinger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter Two Hamilton of Lynn. The Hamiltons of Lynn had not distinguished themselves, in late generations at least, by remarkable deeds, though their deportment was such as to imply that they could if they would they frankly regarded themselves as the elect of the earth if not of heaven always however with a becoming modesty since sixteen thirty six the family had pieced out its existence in the new world tenaciously clinging to many of its old country habits it had kept the b in the family name for instance it had kept the name itself out of trade and it had indulged its love of country life at the expense of more than one hamilton fortune a daughter-in-law was once reported as saying that it would have been a good thing if some hamilton had embarked in trade since in that case they might have been saved from devoting themselves exclusively to an illustration of polite poverty she was never forgiven and died without being reconciled to the family as to the spelling of the name the family claimed ancestral authority as far back as king fergus the first mrs van camp a relative by marriage a woman considered by the best hamiltons as far too frank and worldly-minded informed the family that king fergus was as much a myth as dido and innocently brought forth printed facts to corroborate her statement one of the ladies hambleton crushed mrs van camp by stating in a tone of deep personal conviction with her cap awry so much the worse for dido a salient strength persisted in the hambletons a strength which retained its character in spite of cross currents the hambleton tone and the hambleton ideas retained their family colour and became whether worthily or not a part of the hamilton pride more than one son had lost his health or entire fortune which was apt not to be large in attempts to carry on a country place a hamilton trait they chuckled with as much satisfaction as they considered it good form to exhibit in lynn where family pride did not bring in large returns this phrase became almost synonymous with genteel foolishness the van camp fortune which came near but never actually into the family was generally understood to have been made in shoes though in reality it was drugs people say shoes the minute they hear the word lynn and i'm tired of explaining mrs van camp put it she was third in line from the successful druggist and could afford if anybody could to be supercilious toward trade but she wasn't even after twenty years of somewhat restless submission to the hambleton yoke and it was she who during her last visit to the family stronghold held up before the young james the advantages of a commercial career you're a nice boy jimsy and i can't see you turned into a poor lawyer you're not hard-hearted enough to be a good one as for being a minister well no go into business dear boy something substantial and you'll live to thank your stars jimsy received this advice at the time with small enthusiasm and a reservation of criticism that was a credit to his manners at least but the time came when he leaned on it her own child however mrs van camp 
encouraged to a profession from the first aleck isn't smart enough for business but he may do something as a student was mrs van camp's somewhat trying explanation and aleck did do something as a student extremely impatient with any exhibition of laziness the mother demanded a good accounting of her son's time aleck and jim who were born in the same year ran more or less side by side until the end of college they struggled together in sports and in arguments rushed the same girl in turn or simultaneously and spent their long vacations cruising up and down the main coast in a thirty-foot sailboat once they made a more ambitious journey all the way to yarmouth and the bay of fundy in a good-sized fishing smack but when college was done their ways separated mrs van camp in the prime of her unusual faculties died having decorated the hambleton scutcheon like a gay cockade stuck airily up into the breeze she had no part nor lot in the family pride but understood it perhaps better than the hambletons themselves her crime was that she played with it aleck a full-fledged biologist went to the little hebrides to work out his fresh and salad theory concerning the nerve system of the clam james third son of john and edith hambleton of lynn had his eyes thoroughly opened in the three months after commencement by a consideration of the family situation it seemed to him that from babyhood he had been burningly conscious of the pinching and skimping necessary to maintain the family pride the two older brothers were exempt from the scorching process the eldest being the family darling and the second a genius neither one could rationally be expected just at present to take up the family accounts and make the income square up with even a decently generous outgo and there were the girls yet to be educated jim had no special talent to bless himself with either in art or science he was inordinately fond of the sea but that did not help him in choosing a career he had good taste in books and some little skill in music he was indeed thrall to the human voice especially to the low voice in woman and he was that best of all critics a good listener his greatest riches as well as his greatest charm lay in a spirit of invincible youth but he was no genius no one perceived that more clearly than himself so he remembered clara van camp's advice wrote the whole story to aleck and cast about for the one successful business chance in the four thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine bad ones as the statistics have it he actually found it in shoes football muscle and grit went into the job of putting a superior shoe on an inferior foot if necessary at least on some foot he got a chance to try his powers in the home branch of a manufacturing house and made good when he came to fill a position where there was opportunity to try new ideas he tried them he inspected tanneries and stockyards he got composite measurements of all the feet in all the women's colleges in the year ninety seven he drilled salesmen and opened a night school for the buttonhole makers he made a scientific study of heels and he invented an aristocratic arch and put it on the market the family joked about his doings as the harmless experiments of a lively boy but presently they began to enjoy his income 
through it all they were affectionate and kind with the matter-of-course fondness which a family gives to the member that takes the part of useful drudge john the pet of the parents married and had his own eyes opened it is to be supposed donald the genius had just arrived after a dozen years or so at the stage where he was mentioned now and then in the literary journals but jim stuck to shoes and kept the family on a fair tide of modest prosperity once in the years of jim's apprenticeship to life there came over him a fit of soul sickness that nearly proved his ruin i can't stand this he wrote aleck van camp it's too hard and dry and sordid for any man that's got a soul it isn't the grind i mind though that is bad enough it is the commercial idea that eats into a man's innards he forgets there are things that money can't buy and in his heart he grows contemptuous of anything to be had without money and without price he can't help it if he is thinking of trade nine-tenths of the time his mind gets set that way i'm ready any minute to jump the fence like father's old colt up on the farm i'm not a snob but i recognize now that there was some reason for all our old hambleton ancestors being so finicky about trade do you remember how we used to talk when we were kiddies about keeping our ideals well i believe i'm bankrupt aleck in my account with ideals i don't want to howl and these remarks don't go with anybody else but i can say to you i want them back again aleck did as a kitty should do writing much advice on long sheets of paper and illustrating his points richly like a good scotchman with scientific instances a month or two later he contrived to have work to do in boston so that he could go out to lynn and look up jimmy's case he even devised a cure by creating in his mind an office in the biological world which was to be offered to james on the ground that science needed just his abilities and training but when aleck arrived in lynn he found that jim in some fashion or other had found a cure for himself he was deeper than ever in the business and yet in some spiritual sense he had found himself he had captured his ideal again and yoked it to duty which is a great feat after twelve years of ferocious labor with no vacations to speak of james's mind took a turn for the worse physically he was as sound as a bell though of a lath-like thinness but a never-bussing in his blood lured his mind away from the study of lasts and accounts and parisian models and sent it careering like satan up and down the earth romance which had been drugged during the transition from youth to manhood awoke and coaxed for its rights and whispered temptingly in an ear not yet dull to its voice freedom open spaces laughter the fresh sweep of the wind the high buccaneering piracy of life and joy these things beglamoured his senses so one day he locked his desk with a final click the business was in good shape it is but justice to say that if it had not been romance had dangled her luring wisp of light in vain several of his new schemes had worked out well his subordinates were of one mind with him trade was flourishing he felt he could afford a little spin jimsy's radiating fancies focused themselves at last on the vision of a trig little sailboat 
a jug of wine a loaf of bread in the cabin with possibly the book of verses underneath the bow or more suitably in the shadow of the sail and aleck van camp and himself astir in the rigging or plunging together from the gunwale for an early swim and before i get off i'll hear a singer that can sing he declared he telegraphed aleck who was by this time running down the eyelid of the squid to meet him at his club in new york then he made short work with the family experience had taught him that an attack from ambush was most successful look here edith this was at the breakfast table the very morning of his departure edith was sixteen the tallest girl in the academy almost ready for college and reckoned quite a queen in her world you be good and do my chores for me while i am away and i'll bring you home a duke take good care of mother's bronchitis and keep the house straight i'm going on a cruise all right jim edith could always be counted on to catch the ball go ahead and have a bully time and don't drown yourself i'll drive the team straight to water mother and dad and the whole outfit trust me considering the occasion and the correctness of the sentiments jim forbore for once from making the daily suggestion that she chasten her language by the time the family appeared jim had laid out a rigid course of action for miss edith who rose to the occasion like a soldier mother'll miss you of course but jack and harold two of edith's admirers jack and harold can come around every day stout arm to lean upon that sort of thing you know mother can't be a bit jolly without plenty of men about and since sue became engaged she really doesn't count the boys will think they are running things of course but they'll see my iron hand in the velvet glove you can throw a blue chip on that jimsy and don't kiss me jim for dorothy snell and i vowed when we wished each other's rings on oh well brothers don't count and so amid the farewells of a tender protesting family he got off leaving edith in the midst of one of her monologues there was a telegram in new york saying that aleck van camp would join him in three days at the latest hamilton disliked the club and left it although his first intention had been to put up there he picked out a modest uptown hotel new to him for no other reason than that it had a pretty name the larue then he began to consider details the day after his arrival was occupied in making arrangements for his boat he put into this matter the same painstaking buoyancy that he had put into a dull business for twelve years he changed his plans half a dozen times and exceeded them wholly in the size and equipment of the little vessel and in the consequent expense but he justified himself as men will by a dozen good reasons the trig little sailboat turned out to be a respectable yacht steam at that she was called the seagull neat in the beam stench in the bows rigged for coasting and provided with a decent living outfit she was good enough for any gentleman in the opinion of the agent who rented her jim was half ashamed at giving up the more robust scheme of sailing his own boat with aleck but some vague and expansive spirit moved him to see as he said what it would be like to go as far and as fast as we please while they were about it they would call on some cousins at bar harbor and get good fun out of it 
the idea of his holiday grew as he played with it as his spin took on a more complicated character his zest rose he went forth on sunday feeling as if some vital change was impending his little cruise loomed up large important epochal he laughed at himself and thought with his customary optimism that a vacation was worth waiting twelve years for if waiting endowed it with such a flavor jim knew that aleck would relish the spin too aleck's nature was that of a grind tempered with sportiness jim sat down sunday morning and wrote out the whole program for aleck's endorsement sent the letter by special delivery and went out to reconnoitre the era of sunday orchestral concerts had begun but that day to jim's regret the singer was not a contralto dramatic soprano was on the program a new name quite unknown to jim his interest in the soloist waned but the orchestra was enough he thanked heaven that he was past the primitive stage of thinking any single voice more interesting than the assemblage of instruments known as orchestra hamilton found a place in the dim vastness of the hall and sank into his seat in a mood of vivid anticipation the instruments twanged the audience gathered and at last the music began its first effect was to rouse hamilton to a sharp attention to details the director the people in the orchestra the people in the boxes and then he settled down thinking his thoughts the past the future life and its meaning love and its power the long long thoughts of youth and ambition and desire came flocking to his brain the noble confluence of sound that is music worked upon him its immemorial miracle his heart softened his imagination glowed his spirit stirred time was lost to him and earth the orchestra ceased but hamilton did not heed the commotion about him the pause and the fresh beginning of the strings scarcely disturbed his ecstatic reverie a deep hush lay upon the vast assemblage broken only by the voices of the violins and then in the zone of silence that lay over the listening people silence that vibrated to the memory of the strings there rose a little song to hamilton sitting absorbed it was as if the circuit which galvanized him into life had suddenly been completed he sat up the singer's lips were slightly parted and her voice at first was no more than the half-voice of a flute sweet gentle beguiling it was borne upward on the crest of the melody fuller and fuller as on a flooding tide free of my pain free of my burden of sorrow at last i shall see thee there was freedom in the voice and the sense of space of wind on the waters of life and the love of life jimsy was a soft-hearted fellow he never knew what happened to him but after uncounted minutes he seemed to be choking while the orchestra and the people in boxes and the singer herself swam in a hazy distance he shook himself called somebody he knew very well an idiot and laughed aloud in his joy but his laugh did not matter for it was drowned in the roar of applause that reached the roof jim did not applaud he went outdoors to think about it and after a time he found to his surprise that he could recall not only the song but the singer quite distinctly it was a tall womanly figure and a fair bright face framed abundantly with dark hair 
and the least little humorous twitch to her lips and her name was agatha redmond of course she can sing but it isn't like having the real thing tisn't an alto said jimsy ungratefully and just from habit the day's experience filled his thoughts and quieted his restlessness he awaited alec with entire patience monday morning he spent in small necessary business affairs securing among other things several hundred dollars which he put in his money belt about the middle of the afternoon he left his hotel engaged a taxicab and started for riverside the late summer day was fine with the afternoon haze settling over a river in town he watched the procession of carriages the horseback riders the people afoot the children playing on the grass with a feeling of comradeship was he not also tasting freedom a lord of the earth his gaze travelled out to the river with the glimmer here and there of a tugboat a little steamer or the white sail of a pleasure craft the blood of some sea-going ancestor stirred in his veins and he thrilled at the thought of the days to come when his prow should be headed offshore the taxicab had its limitations and hamilton suddenly became impatient of its monotonous slithering along the firm road telling the driver to follow him he descended and crossed to where cathedral parkway switches off he walked briskly feeling the tonic of the sea air and circled the cathedral where workmen were lounging away after their day's toil the unfinished edifice loomed up like a giant skeleton of some prehistoric era and through its mighty open arches and buttresses jim saw fleecy clouds scudding across the western sky a stone saint muffled in burlap had just been swung up into his windy niche but had not yet discarded his robes of the world hamilton was regarding the shapeless figure with mild interest wondering which saint of the calendar could look so grotesque when a sound drew his attention sharply to earth it was a small sound but there was something strange about it it was startling as a flash in a summer day besides the workmen there was no living thing in sight on the hillside except his own taxicab swinging slowly into the avenue at that moment and a covered motor-car getting up speed a square away even as the car approached hamilton decided that the strange sound had proceeded from its ambushed tonneau and it was surely a human voice of distress he stepped forward to the curb the car was upon him then lumbered heavily and swiftly passed but on the instant of its passing there appeared beneath the lifted curtain and quite near his own face the face of the singer of yesterday and from pale agonized lips as if with dying breath she cried help help hamilton knew her instantly although the dark abundance of her hair was almost lost beneath hat and flowing veil and the bright humorous expression was blotted out by fear he stood for a moment rooted to the curb watching the dark mass of the car as it swayed down the hill then he beckoned sharply to his driver met the taxicab halfway and pointed to the disappearing machine quick can you overtake it i'd like nothing better than to run down one of them duke machines said the driver End of chapter two